We're doing a series on the spirit or spirit as we're calling it. And um, today we're going to look at uh, powers or gifts <clears throat> as they're known in um, the scriptures in the book of First Corinthians, uh, Romans, Ephesians, uh, the three places where the gifts are most talked about. Um, and um, they're called gifts of the spirit or abilities. Graces uh, is another term that's used. It's in the, in the Greek, it's, it's actually a grace, an ability to do something. Um, and, um, and so um, what I wanted to do is look at this and spend a, a, as little amount of time as I can um, speaking and then getting right into um, some questions from you and then right into some practices. Okay, so that will be the goal this morning. So rather than sort of having this whole uh, explanation around the gifts of the spirit, which I've done uh, many times over the years, um, I, I think it, I think it's best if we just we just do the do the thing, you know, just practice it. Um, so uh, some of you, most of you, I think here would probably be somewhat familiar with this. Um, if you're not. Um, the gifts of the spirit are uh, listed in first Corinthians 12. We're going to read um, that passage and then um, get into describing some of them and explaining some of them a little bit. And then um, uh, right into, as I said, some Q and a, and then some practices. All right. So first Corinthians 12, um, this is where this list of, of gifts is most comprehensive. Although the intention of the author, uh, which is the apostle Paul is not to give us a complete list of all possible gifts that exist in this world. Um, it's, it's a listing of some of them. His point is actually not to talk about the gifts. That's not his point. His point is not to say, let me teach you about these spiritual abilities so that you can get some too. Strangely enough, the Bible has no interest in telling us that or, or teaching us about how to get gifts. When you look at 1 Corinthians, you look at Ephesians 4, you look at Romans chapter 12, all, all these three locations where gifts are spoken about, there's an assumption they've already been given and you already have them. Uh, and there, and, and, and as, a, as a matter of fact, what's, what's happening is that many of these, he's just bringing some sort of direction and correction to the use of them because in some cases they're being used inappropriately. And so what he's saying is, hey, let's talk about this. Let's explain some things. For, for example, here in, the, in 1 Corinthians 12, what's happening is that there is, there's all this uh, pluralism happening. All these different uh, uh, groups of people from uh, different ethnicities are coming together, different languages, different faiths even, coming together. But they've all experienced this thing called spirit, and they're wanting to follow Jesus and they've come and they've become, you know, followers of Jesus. And that's creating a problem because whenever that happens, of course, there's all sorts of questions. There's all sorts of issues that arise from that. And there were uses of these gifts that were being used in ways that had, super, had rankings to them. Now, remember, for those of you who were here uh, last week, I talked about it was the last week of the week before, um, I read some passages, some, some stuff, some quotes from the, uh, the history of uh, the charismatic or the Pentecostal movement from all the way back from uh, Acts chapter two. Um, and I did the first part was, which was the first week was from then to Azusa Street, which was in the 19, early 1900s. And then from Azusa Street uh, was last week to the modern day. And what I read to you was shortly after 
the first experience of Pentecost, which was uh, recorded there in Acts chapter 2, is that uh, certain powers, certain people in leadership um, decided that it was really only people in leadership that should be using the gifts. And one of the historians says that that's the reason why they started to disappear and that they weren't as prominent for centuries um, and well, this is happening in the book of Acts. And this is the reason why when, when, when the apostle Paul is talking about these gifts, he says, look at the, the body is made up and he uses this metaphor of the body representing us, the, the, the actual like physical body being a good metaphor for a social body saying, look, there's all kinds of different abilities, gifts, there's all sorts of, um, you know, positions and, 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 and statuses. Uh, there's some of you who are slaves, some who are free, some of you who are Greek, some of you who are Gentile. And the point that he's making there is to say, but here's the thing that it doesn't matter if you have one of the more prominent gifts or one of the less prominent gifts, every one of them matters and is so important to the body, the, co- the, the collective body, the social body. Um, and so he's trying to get rid of this sort of division and ranking that is made up by a desire to maintain authority or power or control in, in, in social settings. Right? So that's what he's addressing here in First uh, Corinthians. Let me just say a little bit about uh, powers. Well, actually, let me read this and I'll, I'll, I'll go through all the different, there's, there's uh, nine of them there. We'll go through them very quickly and describe what they are as best as we can know what they are. Because again, Paul doesn't say, here's what the gift of wisdom looks like. Here's what the gift of prophecy looks like. Here's what, there's just no description. <laughs> you wish there was, because then it would make it easy. But there is none. Um, okay, so First um, Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds, um, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. You see what he's doing here? It's very important to understand this, that there's only one God. There's no need to fear what's happening in you or in someone else. You know, I may not like the way you display and behave and act in your particular gift, and I may kind of have some hesitancies or discomforts about it, but that doesn't mean that it isn't the same spirit, the same Lord that is within you, that is within me. Um, and so um, now to each one, uh, to each one, uh, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes to each one just as he determines. Now, this is, uh, if, we, if we don't get the message, the message isn't about the gifts, the message is about what? <laughs> 
about this, the one spirit and the desire God, that Paul has for this unity. This understanding that unity is not agreement. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not having the same definitions around everything that we think we should have same definitions around. Paul is saying there is going to be differences. That's, that is the way the body works. If the eye should say to the hand or the hand to the eye, I do not need you, does it therefore? This is what Paul goes on. This is his argument in in 1 Corinthians 12. If one part of the body says, I don't need the other part, does that mean that that part is no longer necessary? And Paul's argument is no, not at all. They don't look alike. They don't behave alike. And his problem that he's dealing with there in 1 Corinthians is the same problem we are dealing with right now in the church in America. (laughs) Is that because you don't look like me, because you don't speak like me, because you don't agree with me, because we don't share the exact same definitions for things, therefore, I'm going to sort of marginalize you and put you out here. Oh, we're going to still have unity. We're going to call it unity, even though we're going to have a different church and we're going to split off and start a new thing and have a new denomination to add to the 40,000 that already exist in America. But we're all one. We're all, you know, no, 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 that's fine. It's like this thing of like, oh, no, I tolerate you from a good distance. I love you from a distance, you know. That's a, it's that sort of thing. Like, I'm good. I have no problem with you. None at all. Just as long as you stay over there. Eh? Paul's vision of unity is radical. It's your one body. One body does not look like, well, we're one body, but um, I'm the arm and I've decided to sort of go over here and start a whole group of arms because, you know, the group of arms, we sort of get along. We understand each other. We agree. We all think we should move in the same way. You know, it's really odd. The eye, it does this thing, right? It's just bizarre. It goes around in circles. It goes back and forth, but it can't lift anything. It's kind of, it's all it does is observe and notice and how annoying that is. And then when the eye gets with the mouth, oh my God, it, forget about it. Now you have this whole thing of like the eye is telling the mouth what to, you know, what it's seeing and the mouth just starts talking and, and, and it's always talking. I wish it would just shut up, you know, so that I could get back to work. I mean, this is the reason why we started the denomination of arms because the arms Get stuff done. All the time. And so, so what if we keep running into things? You know, it's okay, because at least we're doing something. Like, this is, the, this is the ridiculousness of that analogy, right? It works really well, because if you think about the church, that's exactly how I think Paul would see it today. Like, great, you, you claim unity as Protestants, but you have 40,000 denominations. None of you like each other. <laughs> or you say you do, but you do from a distance. And that if you finally get together, you get together because you're all voting similarly because you're all part of this evangelical circle. But you don't actually really trust or like each other. That's the reason why you wouldn't actually do church and even, dare I say, have each other over for dinner. So this is where it gets right down to the core of like, this is what Paul is saying, unity, one spirit, one father, one Lord, not many. Now, this isn't an argument against polytheism. That's not what Paul is arguing against. What he's saying is that you people behave as if the other person is functioning with a different God, a different Christ, a different father. 
But if you understand the Lord's prayer, there is only one our Father, <laughs> and there is only one family as a result of that. So if you're going to pray the Our Father, you are praying saying Our Dad, meaning we are all children and siblings, and our Father does not distinguish who is better and who that parent likes more than the other. You're all children. And when there's division here, mom and dad get pretty PO'd about that. Like, stop misbehaving, stop disagreeing, stop arguing, stop fighting, right? Why? Because unity, love, family, these things are a higher value. Interestingly enough, according to research, our brain is much more developed around social connection than it is around intellectual thought. It's a fascinating thing, but that's according to neurosciences. Our brain is actually a well-developed organ to interact socially with other people, but we oftentimes hijack it to simply have intellectual debates and discussions and arguments that create division. One Lord, one faith, Paul says elsewhere, one baptism. That's his point in terms of the gifts. So let me loop back to the gifts because this isn't really about unity. And yes, it is. And yet it is. Because when there is division, here's my other theory. I think that's also when the gifts of the spirit start diminishing. Because there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now think about it in terms of the body. Back to the body analogy. If the group of arms who decided to start their own denomination are hanging out. Do you think that they're experiencing the gifts of the spirit? The only one they're experiencing is the gift of arms, of being an arm. But there's no gift in terms of seeing. There's no gift in terms of hearing. There's no gift in terms of sensing or smelling. All that is, has disappeared. But when they're together, suddenly the arm says, oh my goodness. So the eye said something or, or saw something, communicated it through the mouth and the mouth said something. It was just brilliant. And it, man, now instead of keep, I kept trying to fix something and work and it, I couldn't get through. And suddenly I can because I can see differently. I understand now and I can move forward. This is the thing is I think that the problem with the division is it reduces our ability to experience the fullness of the presence of the spirit. And when we decide we're going to be uncomfortable because we're going to be a body that then God shows up in some really powerful ways. And I've seen this over and over again, experientially over and over and over again. I was part of a, uh, a group when um, Mark Fee, the former pastor, used to uh, pastor this church. I was part of a group um, that he was leading. And, um, and it was part of his first loved ministries that he eventually launched and, and um, began doing full time. And, um, and, and, and so we went out and we did this uh, with other churches. We did this sort of like um, ecumenical group. And there was a Baptist pastor and there was another uh, pastor from a different denomination. There was a Pentecostal pastor and they were all gathered there in this room. And uh, Mark starts talking about love, you know, and, and, and receiving love. That was his big thing was the ability to experience God's love. 
Um, well, uh, there was no talk about the spirit. There was no talk about the gifts of the spirit, none whatsoever. All Mark did was talk about God's love. But because it was so powerful and, and, and life-changing for a lot of them, uh, there, were, there were a lot of tears in the group. There was some, because we, we, and we would do these exercises that were really amazing. And people started having these, uh, these awarenesses, like, oh my goodness, I think my, I have never realized that I've been trying to earn God's love and favor and it's a gift. And suddenly they're experiencing this and there's tears. And then, and then the part of the exercise was, now I want you to read one of God's love passages uh, to another person in this circle. And so, you know, so person A would, would, would have this little piece of paper and would take this passage of scripture and say, okay, and then uh, here we go. And he would read it over another pastor of a different denomination. And then Mark would say, but just, just let your heart speak. Just let it go with the scripture. Don't, don't be just woodenly stuck to that particular, every single word there. And so pretty soon uh, they start elaborating. And I remember one pastor saying to this other pastor, and this was a, this was a non-Pentecostal, non-charismatic pastor saying this to a charismatic Pentecostal pastor. He said, God has loved you since 1983. And he says, I don't know why I just said that. It just came to me and I said it. And the Pentecostal pastor was like, how, how, how did you... Why did you say 1983? Out of all years, why did you pick that one? I have no idea, none whatsoever. That just came to my mind. And because I was being challenged to just say whatever came as I'm pouring out of the spirit of love, I just said this. And the pastor said in tears, you have no idea of the failure, the moral failure I had that year that caused me to believe that I was disqualified forever from ministry. And I've done my best to earn my way back. Like, I mean, this, this is the sort of thing that started happening in these circles. And then at the end, they're saying, geez, I'm afraid to, I, would, I could never go back to my congregation and say that I actually <laughs> prophesied, right? And, and, and did stuff like this, like, this is crazy. No one would ever believe this. But there was no talk about doing the gifts of the spirit. All there was, was a message that caused people to move out of their normal guarded way of being to moving out of something completely different, which is the spirit of love or the spirit of God. And when they did, stuff started happening. Right. This is why I don't think that there needs to be a long talk about how to use the gifts of the spirit as much as there is a need to talk about what are the impediments that stand between me and the spirit of God. What are the things I'm doing oftentimes or not doing that prevent me from a fuller life of the spirit? And I think that that one of them is, is very much this. So I'm going to talk about three things. Well, first of all, so I want to make sure I'm done within five minutes from now. Um, so the gifts of, I'll, I'll just go through the, the gifts and then talk about the three things that categories that prevent us oftentimes from uh, experiencing uh, more of the presence of God in our lives and more access to this higher level or deeper level um, of knowing, of seeing, of doing 
And, and, and if we could access that deeper level of knowing, seeing, doing, I think we're accessing the spirit of God. And some people do it accidentally. Oftentimes we have, and we're like, man, that was good. How did I do that? And I, I wish I could get back to that, right? Sometimes that happens to us. And there is, there is a way to actually do this more regularly, but it's not formulaic <laughs> in the sense that we would expect. So we'll talk about that in a second. All right, so all the, let's look at the gifts again. Um, So uh, the spirit or the message of wisdom, wisdom would be the uh, ability to know what to do in a particular situation. It's not knowing and just straight knowing information or knowing things you should know. Um, otherwise, you know, somehow you've got this message, but it's knowing how to do, how to move forward. What is the, what is the best way? What is the best thing to say? What is the best thing to do at this moment? It's the, it's, it's this ability to see and understand at a, at a different level. And sometimes it also causes shifts in even our, our stage of, of, of faith and development is that suddenly we'll see in a way we never saw before. And our eyes are opened and we say, oh my goodness, and that causes us to live differently. Right? So that's, that's wisdom. Uh, knowledge would be the ability to know things that otherwise um, you don't know exactly how you know. You just have a knowing. Um, and sometimes that shows up where um, you know, you know here's, here's the job I need to take or here's the uh, person I need to you know, marry or date or whatever. It sometimes comes in a way of, you just know, you just know, you just know. When I first saw Patty, my very first time seeing Patty, Patty there was a sense internally that she was going to be my wife. I don't know why I knew that. But I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And, there was, and it wasn't just like, I want, I want, I want, which is usually the way I am. But it was, it was more of like a... I know, and, and, it, and it gave me settledness that I knew. Um, and when we finally had this conversation, it was essentially, hey, do you want to go out? Yes. Hey, do you want to get married? And both of us were like, yeah, we know. We know that we're for each other. We just don't know why. We just do. And then, you know, here it is 26 years later, we're still married. So that's, that's, a knowing that I could look back and go, wow, I, if I could replicate that a few more times, that'd be great because how did I know that exactly, right? So there's sometimes knowings like that. Um, people have said, given me messages that they said, I, I just have a sense that this is what's going on in your life and they've been dead on accurate. They had no other way of knowing. Um, that has happened numerous times. Uh, so the gift of um, faith by that same spirit it's not just knowing, um, but it's, it's this confidence to move forward. This this sense that this is what we have to do. And it really draws other people to move forward too, in a particular direction. Um, like, Hey, we're going to go do this. And there's just this confidence that things are going to work out. Um, and then um, of course there's uh, healing, uh, which um, is uh, the ability to heal, uh, you know, psychologically, I think, and physically. I don't think it's just one or the other. I think it's both. Uh, I know some people who are phenomenal therapists uh, without a degree <laughs> and without an actual title called therapist. They just, uh, for whatever reason, have an ability to, to bring healing to people psychologically. And, and they're not trained in that way. Powerful abilities. Other people who are trained with all sorts of degrees who struggle with that. Right? So the, they're gifts, definitely gifts. Also physical healings, seeing people healed miraculously through laying on of hands. 
No, you know, that was, it just happened. Someone with a severe problem uh, and um, after prayer, they're completely healed and they walk away from that. I mean, I mean, I mean hear these testimonies in this, in this room and we're going to do a practice later uh, during worship where we're going to practice praying for someone and, and see what happens. Okay. So this is, again, this is a practice. This isn't like a, we get this right every time, nor, nor should we. It's just activating more and leaning more forward into the, um, the gifts of the spirit. All right. So um, also there's uh, tongues. Um, this would have been speaking in different languages. I believe that's the intention there, the ability to speak in different languages, um, either from never having learned or trained. And that's, we talked about that a, a couple weeks ago <clears throat> where people have been able to do that. I guess shared a testimony around that, but also I think it's the ability just to naturally learn. Some people have this and they don't know how they just know that when they are around a language, it seems to come to them very quickly. Um, I know people that speak multiple languages and they've never been trained on how to speak that language. They just pick it up. They're around it and they pick it up. Uh, it's, it's, it's un uncanny. Um, uh, the uh, interpretation of tongues would be the, on the other side, the ability to understand what is being said, uh, and not knowing exactly why, but you can. Um, so these are the, uh, different gifts. Um, one spirit. And what I want to finish with are the things that tend to stand in, in, in our way, which would be things like um, our personalities. Our personalities are formed really young and they are there to protect us from pain. And so we can tend to be more head oriented people or heart oriented people or body oriented people, the head oriented people, we tend to anticipate the future. And that gives us a sense. So we look for something that can give us a sense of security around what may be uh, required of us, what may be demanded of us. And so we feel like by uh, having enough knowledge, we can prepare ourselves to face the world. And then there are more heart oriented people. And for them, it's much more about trying to see how am I being seen right now in this moment? What are you thinking about me? And how are you thinking about me? And uh, other people are more uh, body oriented people, which is more about what, I, what, what am I supposed to do in this moment? What's the right thing to do? What is being required of me? What's the, what's the agenda in the space right now people want from me? And, and so because of these things, we can tend to lean very heavily into that thing and not even know that we are and not access the deeper parts where the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God dwells. And so sometimes we have to get through that self-consciousness, that fear, the sense of shame, the sense of unworthiness. Let me just put it out there. None of us are worthy. That's what qualifies you. If you were worthy, you probably wouldn't be showing up to this church anyways. But the fact that you're, you, you, you feel unworthy in my mind is actually good because you got to bring all of you, your sense of unworthiness, your fears, your shame, your anger, whatever is present within you, you got to bring that with you. And when you do, God is good and God will respond. But the point of this whole thing is we have to move forward in faith. And that's my belief is faith is the way forward without which we will never experience anything. And so the response in faith is let's move forward. And faith is just a compelling sense followed by action. That's all that that is. 
Faith is not, I know the outcome. Faith is just, I feel compelled to move forward and I'm going to take a step and I'm probably going to fall and I'm probably going to make mistakes, but faith keeps us moving forward. And with faith, I'm, my experience is that God responds to that. And that more happens as a result of leaning forward than hesitating or leaning back. Now may God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit be with you this week. May the Spirit be even more present to you in the days to come. And may you discover the gifts that are present within you in greater dimension. And may you be encouraged to step out and to use those gifts in faith, in safe ways, but in faith moving forward in trusting that the Spirit of God is within you. And I bless you with these words in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.